I think it's hard to respond to Jesus as king of my life because this world is all about just go, go, go. And you just get caught up with, you know, schooling for me is like education and then social life with friends and dating. And then people are always asking you like, what are you gonna do with your life? What's your career? Where do you wanna live? How many kids do you want? Like all these series of questions that start making you have to speed up. And so I feel like it's hard to respond to him because if you're so busy trying to get the approval and the recognition of your peers, you don't have time to ask God, where do you want me to go to school? What job do you want me to have? How can I better serve you? So I think it's hard to respond to God when you're not making sure you're taking time for God and you're just trying to go, go, go like this world is. All right, well, it is great to see you today. That was my good friend, Essence, and she is so incredibly articulate and um, just love the way that she shared so many of us, whether you are a young adult kind of in that college life mode or whether you might be a little older, a little younger, you get it. It is hard to keep at a pace that we feel like we are called to, but only because our culture says so, not necessarily because Jesus says so. So I really appreciate, and you're going to hear Essence as well as the other couples that have shared the last few weeks. They've been sharing how it's difficult to respond to Jesus as king, but on our Christmas Eve services, you're going to hear them talk about what it looks like when we do. And you're going to love the second half to these different stories. By the way, just because we respond to Jesus as king doesn't mean everything goes well in our lives. Essence was in a pretty significant automobile accident. She's doing well. She's out of the hospital and, and doing well. But when I talked to her dad and Marquis said they drove up and the car was upside down. That's that gut punch, right? That any parent would just go, oh, Lord, please. So Essence is doing well. We're excited for that. And she's recovering. But... Man, those things are parts of our lives, even when we are doing what God has called us into. It doesn't insulate us from trials in any way. Well, I'm so glad that you're here today. My name is Todd Arnett, the lead pastor here at Trinity Church. We're continuing. We're actually bringing to a close this Christmas series that we've been in what will now be the last four weeks. I want to welcome you here indoors. I want to welcome you, those that are watching uh, out on the pavilion and as well those watching online. And for the, by the way, at our Christmas Eve services this week, that first one o'clock service, we will be hosting online. So if you're either not able to come or would rather watch at home, you're welcome to do that. And it'll be available for the rest of you know, however long the internet works uh, after that. So, um, so go ahead and, and join with us that way as well, if that's something that you'd like to do. Well, let me tell you about some things about that service. These videos have been leading up to all the things that Bill mentioned. It's just gonna be a rich time. Love for you to come, but love, like Bill said, for you to think about, God, who would you want me to invite? This week alone, I used the digital kind of um, invite spot. You'll see it on our website. Maybe the best way to find it, the easiest way, is just to go into the search bar and write social media sharing. And when you do that, two different graphics will pop up that you can use on your social media. You can just take a copy of that picture, send it via text, and then we have hand, physical handouts that are at every exit indoors today. So I wanna make sure that you grab one of those and, and just think about, God, who would you want me to invite and which service should, would they be willing to attend and, and it'll be a great opportunity for them to introduce, for us to introduce to them who this King Jesus is and what it looks like to follow him. So if you want to, um, to find your way to those today, that'd be great. If you have a Bible today, if you'd make your way to Luke chapter 2, 
and I'll tell you about that in just a second. Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke, third book in the New Testament, chapter two. If you didn't get, there's some paper notes in the back. You can grab one of those, or if you go to our app, go to resources, sermon notes, today's date, you'll be able to find that, and you can follow along digitally with us as well. I wanna thank the worship team, by the way. What a great job Ben was leading for us today. Would you just thank those guys? Just appreciate their efforts and just, again, helping us like our goal every week, God. We want to come together as a community and be preoccupied with Jesus, and they just help us with that in rich ways. Let me make a comment, by the way. I wasn't planning on doing this, but I wanted to include this today. You would have seen from our governor this, month, or this week that for the month of December 15 to January 15, there is a mandate to be wearing masks indoors. One thing we responded to that, gave just kind of a statement and our e-news that went out on Thursday, hopefully you saw that, and then also what additionally came out the same day on Thursday was that that mandate does not necessarily reply to religious organizations when we gather for worship. Let me just put it this way, real simple. We really believe as the pandemic has progressed that you have figured out your level of concern and how that relates to you and the people in your household. Some of you have people at home that have compromised immune systems, and we just want you to do what you think is the best thing for you, and we're great with that. So I just hope you, we've talked about that before throughout our time together. We love one another, and out of love and deference, we wanna be thoughtful and kind, but we really wanted you to know that whatever level of degree that you just feel comfortable about being together, being indoors, we want that. So if that's like, huh, then man, we have the pavilion for you. Huh, watch online. And if it's indoors and I wanna wear masks, please do. So zero concern, we just want you to kind of navigate the way that you feel is best for the people that you're doing life with, okay? So thanks for being here today and thanks for being involved in whatever capacity that you are. Well, I was gonna tell you at the beginning of our service today that we got really the best ever Christmas gift from Sky and Jackson. They shared on social media yesterday that they are with child and due in June. So we are excited. Joanna and I are over the moon uh, that we get to join the club, this whole grandparent club we've heard so much about. Uh, we get a chance to join and we'll be a part of that. We're so excited and really it just makes all of our family gatherings so fun to just talk about this little one that's on the way. So uh, thanks for rejoicing with us today. Well, let me, let me catch us up. This year, kind of the perspective, right? Christmas, this event and all that goes into it it doesn't change. It happened 2,000 years ago. Its significance still continues to be everyday real in our lives. And what kind of perspective maybe at each annual celebration are we going to take this year really have taken that posture of understanding Jesus as king? And in that, we've taken four weeks, today being this culminating week, three weeks previously to look at what are, what are the implications of that? We began week one looking at kind of an interesting way, who is this king and what is his kingdom like? And though we only had one service, that was, that's, a, that's a year-long series, we had one service to look at it. We looked at Matthew 13, and we saw Jesus telling the people through multiple parables, but they all had these common themes, this is who I am as king, and this is what my kingdom looks like. A couple of weeks ago, Though we could have looked all over the former covenant in the Old Testament for all these prophecies about Messiah, we honed in on Isaiah 9. 
And we walked through about 12 verses in that passage, just kind of eliciting this idea, what, is, what was this king going to be like? What will be true of him? And then last week, we did really a very unique thing. I would not recommend it very often. And it was like sitting maybe in Bible class in a, in a New Testament survey and beginning the class by going, let's see where this idea of king and Messiah comes from. We walked through all the kings of Judah, super, super fast paced. And what we kept coming to every time was, nope, not him, still waiting. You want to say that with me again? Nope, not him, still waiting. But that was a phrase that people were using up until today, meaning where we're looking at today in Luke chapter two. And the wild thing is, is that we see in scripture that this kingdom is actually not something that we continue to just simply look forward to, meaning that Jesus was sent as this one-of-a-kind, unique son of God, the Messiah, the snake crusher, who's going to come and make all things new. And what we see is that kingdom was presented to the people of Israel. It began at his birth and through his public ministry. But this reality is, is even now, as we anticipate, we lean forward about his second arrival. In that in-between time, the author of Hebrews says that his kingdom is something we're currently receiving. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28, therefore, since we are receiving, present tense, a kingdom that cannot be shaken, watch what we do. Let us be thankful. And so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. Why? For our God is a consuming fire. So today, we're going to go all the way back to the beginning. And this is our now what statement. Honor and serve King Jesus who alone who alone, no one like him before, no one like him since, fulfilled God's promise of Messiah. I don't know about you, but I love a good origin story. I love it. When, when a movie sequence or a book sequence comes out and they say, we're gonna do a prequel, we're gonna tell you these characters you've gotten to get to know, we're gonna tell you about how they became who they are. You caught them midstream, but we'll go all the way back to the beginning and tell you what actually was their, quote, origin story. I love a good origin story. Some of us might know that in great works of literature, C.S. Lewis's series, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, that, um, or The Chronicles of Narnia, that within that series, the very first book was that book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, but the second book that came out, The Magician's Nephew, was a prequel to the first. I remember having that series and reading them to our kids when they were young, and we get, and I actually, it's really one of my favorite books in that series is The Magician's Nephew, primarily for that reason, is it shows the backstory. It shows the origin story, especially of significant characters, and the one that we all know so well, like the White Witch and the Professor. Their origin stories are there in The Magician's Nephew, and then they play out. Other lesser-known classics might include an actual movie that's coming out this summer called Lightyear, and it gives the origin story behind the toy we've all come to know and love, Buzz. And so I love, when I saw the, the trailer for that, I thought, oh, this is gonna be awesome. How did Buzz become Buzz? And we're gonna see it in the origin story. But maybe who has done by far the best of anything related to origin stories is the Star Wars universe. 
The Star Wars universe started, I don't know how many of you remember 1977 going to the theater, right? There was no video, VCR, if you don't even know what that is, they're in museums. There was no DVD, there was, which is also I did, there was no online streaming opportunity. You had to physically go to a theater. I'm six years old and my mom drops me and my four-year-old brother off to watch this thing that everyone was raving about. And I remember this guy, Darth Vader, coming on and we're both like, we're gonna die. He was so scary. But I don't know if you remember at the very beginning of the film, episode four. What? I don't even know if any of us paid attention to it. We're just thinking this thing is sweeping the country. We want to go see what it is. Episode four, genius. A whole another generation, my son, would grow up watching episodes one, two, and three. And this genius way, whether they ever knew, George Lucas ever knew he's going to make the first three episodes, he starts midstream and goes all the way back to origin stories. And all of a sudden, this <gasps> guy is this really cute little kid in episode one. And you watch an origin of where, how people became who they became. Still to come, Star Wars has continued to do that. Solo movies like Han Solo give an origin story about this character. And then one coming out this next year in 2022, Obi-Wan Kenobi. Now, is it nerdy that I know that? Yeah, I'd agree. I'd agree. You, you, you said what everyone was thinking, Aaron. Thank you. Here's what I want to do today. I want to tell you the origin story of the King of Kings, of your king. And the interesting thing is I kind of can't because he doesn't have an origin. He's always existed. Eternally within the triune Godhead, the Messiah King that we celebrate, that we have made so much of this last month, never came into existence. In that form, as we talk today, we'll go to Luke 2. But I have to go back even further to help us understand that this relationship we call the Trinity, we're actually, this church is kind of big on that, hence the name. It's a big deal, and this unique three-in-one essence, it shows, even from the very beginning, the very first chapter in your Bible gives an understanding, gives at least a, a, a glimmer of what this means. Genesis 1, verse 26. Then God, this singular word, said, let us, plural word, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and of the birds in the sky, over the livestock and over all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Watch. So God made mankind in his, singular, own image. Three in one. In the image of God, he created them male and female, he created them. So this triune Godhead, and today I don't have the time to make this huge. I can show you from all over Scripture this concept of Father, Son, and Spirit, this triuneness of who God is. But maybe you can hear it at least from Jesus' lips today about his own origin. He was in a conversation with religious leaders who are just throwing dart after dart at him. And in John chapter 8, this is what he says, verse 56. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You are not yet 50 years old, they said to him, and you've seen Abraham. Very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. 
mic drop. And they knew exactly what he was saying because they picked up stones to stone him for blasphemy. There was no missing, I have always been. So Jesus does not originate in a manger. I need you to know that. But the God-man, the Christ child does. So we're saying both and in a way today. Jesus has always existed, but yet as he takes this role of Messiah to us, it looks for the first time. There's actually some passages in the former covenant called theophanies or even Christophanies that actually are moments when this second member of the triune Godhead made himself known physically to people. Three or four that, that theologians talk about. I just want to show you one today to at least help you understand that this thing even existed before Jesus ends up in a manger. And it's with Gideon in this powerful passage in Joshua or Judges chapter 6. And you'll note the angel of the Lord. Watch the change. Chapter 6, verse 11. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak at Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Ebrazite where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. We read right over that. He was incredibly afraid that his harvest was going to be found, so he's sneaking around, threshing it where no one can see him. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon and said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. This is a fascinating exchange. And by the way, this exchange would probably be similar to fast forward literally a few thousand years and fast forward to when Jesus was born. This would have been the attitude of a new, 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 new generation of Israelites. Listen to what he says. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. But if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? Those are great fables and stories. When has that happened recently? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. Look at verse 14, the Lord. Not the messenger, the Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. So these are powerful pictures, glimpses, besides all the prophecies that something was coming. And so as it relates to this Messiah King's entrance, we've been looking at this great children's book called The Biggest Story. This is how chapter eight begins. After all of these downs and not too many ups, we come to a manger in the t little town of Bethlehem. This is where we meet the new Adam, the child of Abraham, the son of David. It's with the stinky shepherds and the singing angels where we see the real deliverer, the real judge, the real conqueror. No one understood it completely at the time, but when Mary pushed out that baby, I love it, it's pretty graphic, Jesus pushed into the world the long-expected prophet, priest, and king. God gave his people a new law, a new temple, and a new sacrifice. Best of all, he gave his people a new beginning, just as he promised. So let's do that today. Let's take a look at Luke's account of Jesus' birth. As a Christian school kid, K-8, to this is something I would memorize annually and stand up in front of people like you at a Christmas program and recite with my class. 
And it was so fun going back through it today or this week and being able to go, God, this is what was going on in those words that just kind of kept rolling off my tongue, but words I probably really didn't understand the significance of. Luke chapter two, verse one. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. There's a significant challenge in putting these dates together, but listen to the anchor points that Luke gives about this census, right? We're familiar. The last, ten, you know, 2020 was the last census that we took in our country. So look at what he describes this as. It's under Caesar Augustus' rule, very specific with the timing of the, the emperor at that time. It's a census of the entire Roman world. I don't even think we could fathom that number of people and from how many lands that today are all kinds of other nations that have nothing to do with Italy. But that was the Roman world 2,000 years ago. It's his first census when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And the reality is this census had a really interesting implication. He said that everyone had to go to their town, here we are again, of origin had to go to their town of origin. We read that Joseph and Mary were living up in Nazareth, up in Galilee. They're gonna travel down and they're gonna come to Bethlehem and they're gonna do that when she is incredibly pregnant. Not just a little pregnant, a lots of pregnant. So all these things, and as we're looking at this concept of how this is going to work out, Luke is incredibly specific. The content that he could have given in just a very simple way, there was a time under a Roman emperor when he said, I want to take a census of my entire empire, and in doing so, I want everyone to go to their hometown. That's the nuts and bolts of what he could, Luke, the historian, Luke, the gospel writer, both of Luke and Acts, that's all he needed to share. But when you read the Gospel of Luke, when you read the book of Acts, you see names and places. And I will tell you, as people look today and they bring into question how these events could have happened with the timing of what we see in history today, can I just tell you this? I'm not trying to be dismissive, but I have seen time and time again when biblical archaeology keeps proving what these people wrote. So rather 2,000 years later and saying, I don't don't think that could have happened, I'm going to go, there's a guy who wrote these words just a few decades after they happened. I'm going to think that he might actually have an understanding of who did what, where, when. And I think that biblical archaeology will prove it in some day soon anyway. So the reality is this. Luke's account tells us that these people had to go to these places to be counted. Read on, chapter 2, verse 4. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. Look at a couple of key connections that Luke is making that we've made note of over this series. First off, we noted that Galilee was going to be blessed. We saw that from Isaiah 9, and that the dawn had come, light had come to a people in darkness, and specifically from there. So in a unique way, Messiah had to somehow have some part of his origin in Galilee. Not only where his parents were originally from, but where they would ultimately be moved back to. We call him Jesus of Nazareth for a reason. He grew up there. 
But then secondly, we see another key thing. We see that he had to come from the line of David. Because as we saw last week, when we walked through all these kings and kept saying, nope, not the Messiah. Some of them really amazing leaders, but still fallen and broken. Nope, not Messiah. Messiah was ultimately going to come. David was promised a covenant made to him. Someone from your family, from your line, will always sit on Israel's throne. So Luke is connecting those dots and demonstrating that there is this, that Jesus is fulfilling these prophecies. But I want to catch you on to something that he doesn't leave out. It's interesting to me, it would be easy in the historical record maybe to go, let's kind of push that one over here. Look at what we just read. We just read a scandal and you didn't even know it, notice. He went there to register with Mary. That's not scandalous, but the next part is, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. Our culture today would want to make little of anything related to God's design for almost everything, especially related to sexuality and marriage. But in God's design, the way he intended is that a man and a woman would come together in the covenant of marriage and then they would begin to have a family, have children to add to their family. That's not what happened here. Now, we read from Matthew's account, we read in, remember this is Luke chapter two, so something's happened in chapter one, that they have an awareness that this Jesus is not from Joseph directly and not from any other human man, but by this unique way that God has overshadowed Mary. She is with child with his unique one of a kind. But to everybody else, Wait, you, you two aren't married and she's pregnant, really pregnant. Yeah. That was a scandal in that day, and watch this, that would never leave their lives. John chapter eight, in that same throwing darts back and forth, these religious leaders at one time say, we're not illegitimate children, as though you are. Why did Jesus not have the pomp and circumstance? Why did his birth not elicit parades? The royal king has been born. Well, partly due because of the fact that it looked like it was a scandal. And that was something that they were willing to stomach. That was something that they were willing to say, you know what? We don't understand what God has said and how God has worked, but it's what he's told us, and it's how we're gonna keep walking. I have such incredible respect for Mary and Joseph for that piece alone. So many other reasons as well. Jesus, not born amidst celebration, but of scandal. Verse six of Luke chapter two. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. So here is this woman, incredibly pregnant, who is forced to leave day's journey from Nazareth down to Bethlehem. And it's while they were there. there I think every intention was, we're gonna make this travel, we're gonna get down. I don't think ever once Mary and Joseph were like, how do we figure it out to get to Bethlehem? That was God saying, hey, I have made this promise and I'm gonna get you to where I need Jesus to be born. 
It's in the prophecies. And why did he even say it to Micah in the first place? Because he has a plan. And he has a purpose that won't be thwarted. So he actually uses the decree of an incredibly evil emperor, Augustus of Rome, to actually get his son to be born in the city he's supposed to be born in. Huh. Seems a bit ironic. But yet, this is God doing what God does. And there is nothing that's going to thwart his plan. Think of, I want you to think through a few lenses with me. Think of how much more comfortable it would have been if Mary could have given birth in her own home, a place that was known, a place that had everything she needed, as opposed to the way Jesus is going to be born literally in a barn, would not have been her first option. <clears throat> Think of how much more at ease Mary would have been if her mom and other relatives would have been there to be a part of the birth of her firstborn. How incredibly just soothing to know that they could walk with her and hold her hand. Instead, she's stuck with a brand new husband who is probably about as helpful as most brand new husbands. Uh, can I do anything? Think of the clothes that might have been handed down from other generations. I mean, we, we are already buying them <laughs> for a new one coming in June. Think of the special things that Mary would have wanted to put this new child in, but instead she's reaching for sanitary cloths from every, anywhere she can to be able to wrap this child in a way that at least protects it. I want you to fathom this with me a little bit today about how God, God chooses to do things in people's lives that he loves deeply. This is the human agent of the one who's going to bring into existence the long-anticipated Messiah. But he does not make their lives comfortable. To the contrary, all those things that would have been comfortable, much more so had he been born in Nazareth, are all stripped away. Maybe it reminds us of something in our lives as well. In your notes, in order for God's design to come to bear, he will often value less our comfort over his objectives because our comfort isn't his greatest concern, even though it often is ours. Can I tell you this? When I was writing that this week, I was writing that to me. That is a look in the mirror kind of thing. God, if you're gonna accomplish your will your way, which I'm all about, Jesus, you just do it. I want to get in line. I want to be a part of where you're leading. There is nothing more I want in my life. And when he hears you, when he hears me say, okay, that's not him saying, awesome, because I have this really wonderful red carpet I just want you to walk on. It's going to be so good, so easy, so comfortable. It's often not going to be any of those things, but what it will be is it will be good. In the end, it will be good because it's following a good God's purposes. Might not include our comfort, often to the contrary, but always, always, always worth it. Chapter 2, verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. 
angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were, and I love this word, when I was learning as a kid, they were afraid. They were terrified. Thought they were gonna die. Two things about this part of the story. We failed to understand because we didn't live in the first century and we didn't live around this Middle Eastern part of the world. We failed to understand how rejected, how on the outskirts of society shepherds were. And for really one basic reason, well, two, they were nomadic. They were always moving to where there was good grass to take care of their sheep. But secondly, their best friends were stinky livestock. Nobody wanted any part of them. These were the dregs. These were not people you want to go be friends with. They were out in the fields doing what shepherds do, out in the fields taking care of sheep because everyone else didn't want to have to deal with them. But the second thing that we forget is that when this angel shows up, let me rephrase, when this alien, pow, Pops into the night, this jet black sky, maybe stars poking through, but all of a sudden you're sitting there hanging out with sheep, maybe telling stories, maybe singing a song, got the fire on, pow! This alien shows up and is, it's light, it's majesty, it's awe, has you on your face hoping, please don't kill me. It's interesting that you and I sing songs about wanting to see God. And I feel like sometimes we have kind of turned Jesus into our best friend and we've forgotten the way that when God and his messengers show up, people are terrified. Terrified because they're so other. Terrified because they're so pure. Terrified because we don't begin to feel right in front of a holy God as unholy people. That's what happened on that night. We discount how terrifying it is as unholy people to be in the presence of holiness defined. That's who these every ordinary day shepherds came in contact with. It actually gets worse. Chapter 2, verse 10. <clears throat> but the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. <clears throat> Suddenly, this is where it gets worse, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel. Pow, the whole sky lights up. They're everywhere, alien invaders. Praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. Can I tell you something? You don't need to tell people to not be afraid unless they're afraid. These guys are scared to death. And this alien creature, this angel of the Lord, this messenger says, hey, actually, I don't only just come in peace, I come in blessing. I've got incredible news for you. You've heard of him somewhere along the line growing up as a child. You heard your parents talk about, but Messiah's coming. He's come in your lifetime, and he's come tonight. I just think what we miss about that is the shock and awe. We miss just that. I can't, I mean, we've just seen something. Were you drinking too much? I don't think I've been. We've just seen something collectively. 
And then they're processing what on earth is happening. The best part about what they shared was for people who weren't there. Great news because this Messiah hasn't just come to you, hasn't just come to Israel. He's come to everyone. He's come to the world. His rule and reign was something that we could all come underneath his wings and enjoy. Not just those born with a certain bloodline, not just those born with a certain ethnicity, not those just born with a certain geography. In your notes, Jesus is king over all and yet available to all. Jesus is king over all and yet available to all, not a single one of us excluded from the invitation to be a part of his kingdom. It finishes this way, chapter two, verse 15. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread word concerning what, had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Simple question, what do you do when angelic beings tell you to do something? You do it, and you do it fast, and you don't keep it to yourself. A spiritual that has become in our trove of Christmas carols emanates from this passage these wonderful words of go, tell it on the mountain. They spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And I have just incredibly great news. As great as it is that this wonderful news of the gospel, of, of God making good on his promises, it's not just for us in this room today. It's not just for those out on the pavilion. It's not just for those watching online. It is for every single person in your relational world that that invitation is just as much for them as it's ever been for you. Jesus is king of all, and all are invited to respond. That is a yay God thing if I ever heard it, because people have been saying that in assemblies like these long before you ever knew that good news. And when they were, they were talking about you. People, when you were growing up, people at various stages of your life who were praying for you, believed what I just said, that this great news of the kingdom is not just for those who've already responded to it, but for those who are still responding to it. Jesus is Lord of all, and he's accessible to all. And I can't remind you, I can't remind me enough, maybe the best way to sing those words this year, go tell it to your relational world. There's something great about shouting it from the mountaintops, but something really important when we actually share it over coffee. The way that most people come to know Christ, the way that you probably did as well. This is Jesus' origin story, as it were, as the Messiah King. And it's just the beginning. In a really wonderful, succinct, beautiful way. Listen to the rest of chapter eight. Of course, some things were different than people had expected the stable with the animals, the scandal with unmarried, unmarried Mary were surprises to most folks. The miracles were remarkable. The teaching was unlike anything anyone had ever heard. The bumbling band of hand-picked disciples, that was curious. But the biggest surprise to everyone was that the chosen one of God was chosen by God to die. 
It just didn't seem right that the one destined to crush the serpent would be crushed himself. So when Jesus the Christ, the son of the living God, died on the cross that Friday afternoon, it seemed a shocking evil beyond belief. And it was the worst thing that's ever happened in the world. But it was also the best thing that's ever happened in the world, just as we would expect from God and just as God planned it. We break promises so God keeps his. We run from God so he comes to us. We suffer for sin so the Savior suffers for us. Our story is the story of God doing what we can't in order to make up for what us doing, I'm sorry, in order to make up for us doing what we shouldn't. It's a great line. Our story is the story of God doing what we can't in order to make up for us doing what we shouldn't. The Christ suffers for our sin that we might share in his sinlessness. And so deliverers are born to die. Things fall apart so they can come together. God kicks his own people out of paradise and then does whatever it takes to bring them back. Yay, God. Yay, God. That's the story. And the reality is this. Like every king... A king not just leads people, but a king has to protect his people from an evil one who would want to come and undo everything he's done. There's nothing different. Every story you've heard with a king and someone adversary coming against him comes from this original story, that there is an enemy, your greatest enemies of death and Satan. And in the most creative, imaginative way I could find, I just wanted to close our series with this video to remind you, Jesus wins. Take a look. Or not. This series has had everything, classical music to children's books to anime. So if there's some medium you've missed out on, I'm sorry, I tried to cover them all. That's how it ends. Yay, God. Father, we come before you today as a people who anticipate your second arrival. A king who initially came and through your death, through your resurrection, conquered sin and death, our greatest fear, our greatest enemies. You've already won. We anticipate as your second arrival when you bring us home, when you make all things new. And in that space, in that between time, Jesus, would you help us keep forward with hope, keep leaning, anticipating. As all creation groans, you are going to be good for your word because you've already done what you've done. You've already proven true. Your faithfulness, your mercies are new every morning. God, give us grace to not give up. Help us keep entrusting ourselves to you and keep putting us not just with attitudes of hope, but God, lives of mission. Would we be a people who see that there are others around us that you've supernaturally, strategically placed us in our lives that you want us to be people of influence with? If you're here today and, and you realize this King Jesus is a king you've never responded to, it's not about how much you know about him, it's about bending your knee. And saying, Jesus, I submit, I need you. It begins by A, admitting that you're a sinner who needs a savior. B, believing 
And Jesus is the only Savior available. And see, choosing to say, Jesus, I put my confidence in who you are and what you've done, not in what I can do. You can make that decision right here, right now, today. And I encourage you, don't let another moment go by until you respond to this king who loves you so much. Thank you for this great Christmas season that we get to celebrate things like this. We love you and we pray in the great name of Jesus. Amen.